This episode of The Good Pop Culture Club is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um... After a week off because of certain things happening in our country, we return to a whole new world. The weather's getting a little cooler. The day is getting shorter. I think the leaves are changing color, but we don't know because we live in California. But the leaves are getting brown in my Animal Crossing game, so it's fall. Hey, everyone. Joining me Hi. in our first... I guess, is this official fall now? Because it's been fall for a it's while. Official fall. It's official fall. It's official LA fall. It was very cold today. I had to turn on my <laughs> heater for the first time, and it smelled bad. It's sweatshirt weather in California, finally. When I turn on my heater, I have to, my fire alarm goes off because it's still burning off all the dust. Yes, <laughs> that smell, that's, that's the mm-hmm. smell. That's the yeah, smell. it's gross. That's the and smell then... of fall. <laughs> Joining me, as always. Professional, still anxious, maybe Asian American. Always just anxious, you? slightly less anxious. But woo, what a week, guys! Um, yeah, my my what's popping just might be CNN and all the memes <laughs> that I I was like an addict. I was like refreshing the page like every two seconds. I was refreshing Twitter every five seconds. So we can talk about that later. Yeah. Also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Wen. Hi. Definitely still anxious. Very anxious. I'm very distrustful of corrupt people. You know how anxious I am or I've been is I totally just disregarded my usual annoyance at the fact that we're totally skipping straight from Halloween season to Christmas season. At this point, I just want Christmas to come. There are bigger fish to fry. Christmas creep. We will We will carve out. We will carve out a nice, you know, um, exemption for Thanksgiving. In that last week of of November, but I need Christmas to be here. I need I need like the lights and the <laughs> cookies and the gift shopping because I'm gonna you know trying to. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but like I'm trying to like save some like beloved businesses or throw like beloved businesses some money. So, uh, so look, I've already been watching Christmas movies. I already started my my yearly spreadsheet where I assess them so that way my friends and I can decide whether or not we want to watch them. And then even today I had um a press day for lifetime two lifetime Christmas movies cuz one has the first gay leads um and then another one had um a Chinese American in the sugar center. and spice so, Sugar and spice, and then the gay leads one is uh, the Christmas, which also setup. has an Asian American 
character in it. Ellen Wong. Yes. yes, she is the best friend and she is actually the friend of the leads. So that's cute um, in real life. Yeah. Did you also see the trailer for the new LGBTQ film with Kirsten Stewart and Mackenzie <gasps> Davis? It looks so it good. It looks so good. And um, uh, Dan, da- oh, what's Shit's Creek? I only know him as, ew, David. Um, David is going to play the friend and it, it all looks great. That's the younger Levy, Levy right? Yes, Eugene's son, yeah. uh, who's like now yeah. an Emmy winner, and no, he's great. It's, so it just looks really great. It looks really, yeah. It's on Hulu, and it's really good. And I'm just like, this is making all the people who were like gagging over Kristen Stewart earlier, and then you know inspired the Totino's pizza rolls skit on SNL. Um, they will be very happy, I think. But it looks, it looks good. I love that Kristen Stewart is leaning into this new like phase of her fame, which is like, let's just be gay. I mean, I'm glad she gets to embrace the gay because you know, like, you know, no one had a good time filming Twilight. Like, I've never seen Robert <laughs> Pattinson or Kristen Stewart look more miserable than when they were doing and doing filming and doing the press tour for the Twilight movies. And now that neither of them are, they've done really cool weird interesting movie roles they're both very good actors it's amazing that these two actors Mm -hmm. are so like yeah individually so good but have like zero chemistry when they were together i don't know if it was their fault though i think it was the movie isn't that the rule that once you're together you actually don't have chemistry yeah you have to want to fuck each other but not actually fuck yet or you have to be in the midst of falling in love but once you're like settled in love it's boring and then i think at one point they like started breaking up i don't know what course throughout the movie <laughs> process not a twilight head but i i do remember that was in the tabloids pretty heavily for a while god twilight years seems so far away <laughs> but that was like maybe well it was like 10 years ago right I know I the, my time frame for it is I know that the writer's strike happened while filming Twilight. <laughs> I don't know if it was the first or second movie. So it must have been around 2008. And because I remember Robert Pattinson had to improvise some lines because they didn't have like the screenwriter or any like writer edits going on. So he improvised the line, hold tight, spider monkey. <laughs> Which did in fact make He should have just written all of it. I mean, that was probably the best line of the movie. Because that's the, the only one I can line. remember. I've still never watched a Twilight. Maybe one of these days you'll force me to for a pop culture gap episode. There, but no. I, I have no... I tried and I could not get past the first scene in the first movie. Like, I legitimately tried. I feel like I've seen one, but I can't remember the circumstances. Um, they definitely didn't stick with me. But I don't think we would. I think the pop culture gaps would be the ones that we think are worthwhile. <laughs> so that would not we end up turn this into one of those like worst idea ever podcasts where we just watch movies that we'll hate and dunk on them. Uh, well, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we've woken up from a four year long dream. But the catch is the dream was real. And the dream was real, and and the reality that we woke up to isn't necessarily better. Like, there's no, there's no, like, guarantee that it's gonna be better. I guess the nightmare is kind of. I don't know. Is the nightmare over? I don't think it is. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, literally, like everything I read, it's like, hey, they just fired these people from the Department of Justice. Hey. They're now filing this other thing. Hey, you know, like, oh, it's just like, it's, the thing is, 
I 100% believe that we got the votes. And if they all get counted, it will still like follow that the projected win. However, what I don't trust are evil people. (laughs) And they're the ones who have constantly bent the rules and found their cronies to help them bend the rules. And that is what I'm like. So for me, I'm not I'm not like breathing a sigh of relief quite yet. And if that sounds like like me being a weird conspiracy theorist and so be it. But like, I'm just being careful. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like we've Uh, all earned a little cynicism in our, um, I guess, as we all enter our middle years of our lifetimes. Don't turn our backs on these (laughs) guys. I I mean, it's obviously it's better than it was before, right? Like, I, I, without a doubt, like, let's not be, let's not kid ourselves. Like, yes, Trump 45 was bad. His administration was so bad. And Biden is not perfect and he was not my pick. But, you know, at the very least, when we're, we're, we're at the very least, we're now going to get a president who speaks in full sentences and like believes in science and like hopefully won't like actively, aggressively, you know, publicly chase fascism. <laughs> like, like, OK, so yes, that is like we're, we're we are better. But, you know, like as I think this year revealed, we it revealed just a lot of broken like our system was already broken and like the stress of this year in all its forms just kind of revealed that and i just don't like i think it'd be even more tragic but also very human to just hope you know now things are back to normal so it's fine i'm like no "No, normal wasn't working before (laughs) and we can't go back to normal either so like let's let's keep going like let's keep let's keep but at the very least i do think you know should things you know should this uh, attempted coup fail let's call it what it is he's trying to stage a coup he's just not very good at it or very smart at it about it um you know trump and his administration and i think a lot of people on his side is all, are also like legit just tired of this shit and like yeah w- would rather like go back to their evil behind the scenes machinations um yeah they yeah they're they're planning to trying to play both sides like they're hedging their bets like just in case he's <laughs> able to you know get this coup they're like what's the harm and you know whatever saying yes to him and then at the same time they're like also like sending their resume and updating their linkedin so um god just not not uh, a not a not a backbone <laughs> amongst them is there yeah no they're they're, they're talking to dancing with the stars uh-huh. um they're <laughs> Um. Yeah. Dancing yeah, with the like, Stars, the uh, retirement the, home of failed fascists. Yeah. The late. The kid, latest piece totally of news that I got. Happening. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Sean Spicer. Oh, no, 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 I'm not Sean kidding Spicer. at all. Sean Spicer they, was they, on they, there. They let Carol Baskin be could totally be. Yeah. Contestant. She killed her husband. Yeah, I am hundred percent not kidding. That's why we wrote a story on Salon about don't hire these people for Dancing with the Stars and other pop culture things. So, um, but. I will have to say the the latest news story I saw is giving me slightest bit of hope that hopefully like we'll chip away at these these horrible uh, attempts at a coup, which is that the postal worker that everyone was um, uh, citing all the Republicans were citing, saying that uh, there's evidence now that there was some um, uh, uh, tampering and stuff like that. Well, he finally in the investigation uh, revealed that he had lied about that. Of course. So, are we surprised? Of course he did. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying I'm a surprise. I'm, I'm just saying that he admitted it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I guess 
I spoke too early when I said we're waking up from the dream. We're still fully in the dreamland of horrors. Um, that is our current reality, I guess. But on the positive side, at least officially, we're turning a new page. Um, we finally have someone who can set an actual agenda um, for policy in this country. But it's a good time to reflect on just how this past four years has been for us. Um, so that's going to be our topic for this episode. Um, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is getting us through this very chaotic week. Um, Jess, what's popping? Okay, so besides, you know, refreshing CNN and election stuff 24-7 for the last for Monday through Friday, basically. Um, I know I'm super late to this party. Don't ask me why. But uh, why I'm late, I have no good reason. But I finally dived into Insecure. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Specifically, I want to give shout outs to the Coachella episode, which perfectly encapsulates a group of women in their late 20s, early 30s, um, trying to get their shit together to go see Beyonce. Like, that is a very specific life experience that I have personally been through, and they nailed it. Uh, it ends with one one of the friends crying in the closet. And if you are a woman, you have definitely, if you're a woman who has like gone to like more than five parties in her life, you have definitely been that woman crying in the closet and calling your, either your friend, your sister, or like a significant other, just calling them. Usually it's a significant other. Let's be real. Calling, but like, I miss you. I was like, wow, I feel so seen. Um, this is just like a really weird, point where i now realize like i am aging into the common like age group of tv shows before i was always younger and it was a very aspirational kind of relationship to these characters and like the whole point is like east is like turning 29 she's like turning 30 and i'm just like well that's close oh this is like me and then like in my head i'm still like a really small 12 year old girl like, that's how I see myself sometimes. Like, I envision myself, like, physically moving through the world. And I was like, oh, no, we're the same age. I mean, not really, because I think in real <laughs> life, they're always older. But, you know, it's like this weird thing where, like, like I'm starting to realize, like, time is passing. It's always um, interesting yeah. when you realize that media is now being made for you specifically. It's like... Well when I was growing up yeah. and my cousins were their friends and I was like, oh, these are adults. And then when I was their age, I think for us, it was probably how I met your mother was the closest thing to our version of friends. And I was like, oh, these are my people. These are people at the same age I am doing things that I wish I could do in New York. Well, I think like media is typically aspirational. So you're always making like if it, you know, like at least for kid, like younger me skewing media, like if you're doing a high school show, it's really for like preteen you know audience if you're doing a college show it's really more for high school audience and i think that trend continues upwards so i'm like where do i look to now like am i just supposed to watch nancy meyer movies and like pin the kitchens which i actually do already um <laughs> i got i gotta tell you that being an old person to myself the stuff that's aimed at me is very depressing so i end up watching younger okay stuff, so like so. when you're still young and there's hope and like your life has options <laughs> stick with that noted because yeah because i think the stuff that are for people in their 40s are like 
Hallmark movies where you're like having a second chance. Yeah, it's like, like either that, that or it's like, like oh, my husband is having an affair and now I have to like right. reinvent myself as a single mother of two teenage children. Yeah, it, it's a lot of reinvention, a lot of second chances because clearly whatever their lives are, are just not whatever. So but rarely is it like a person like me who's still single. So that's interesting. There's sometimes there's like one friend who is still single, but the rest of them are either divorced or have kids who are taller than me, you know, that type of situation. Um, I guess maybe the people who are more like me, they're maybe they're do- doing the producing. We we're talking about like Shonda Land earlier, uh, Ava DuVernay. Oh, yeah. Reese, like I that. mean, that's where you get yeah. make the real money and I get that. But um, yeah. yeah, and so, so yeah, Little Fires Everywhere would probably <laughs> supposed to be for someone like so, me. But again, that's depressing, um, right? Little Fires Everywhere, Big Little Lies. It's all depressing. I, mean, I would love there to is, live in the like their houses in Big Little Lies, but I do not want an yeah. abusive husband. I do not want an asshole husband who cheats on yeah. me. Very, very little media that stars someone my age is actually straight out like joyous so, yeah so i'm just gonna assume that in your that 40s gap. like that's when your partners start cheating on that's you line. and something and your yeah. kids all start yelling at you and they set the house on fire like okay i'm ready i'm yeah. ready <laughs> and then you're supposed to escape to another country and then find yourself and find your you know groove got it got so it noted <laughs> noted so it's been insecure and honestly i've just been consuming gritty memes i love gritty Literally just learned about him on Wednesday. The the sexy greedy. Oh, sexy, sexy. Oh, you just discovered greedy. Yes, I. Do I look like an NHL fan from Philadelphia? Like, no. No, look. This makes sense though because you just discovered the Muppets, and greedy is just basically yeah, an ugly Muppet, but drunk, but drunk. So. I am not an NHL fan, but like on one of my slacks, we've had a gritty channel for like at least a year. So. Oh my god! Whoever, um, yeah, we put all the gritty. Gritty is the first mascot oh. of the digital age because he was like, yeah, he just made for memes. I need Gritty and Cheetan to do a crossover. Um, Cheetan being the John Oliver did a really great episode, the Japanese mascot that is like the unofficial mascot mm-hmm. that like does like jackass like shit on their YouTube. Um, it's an otter. It's a very cute otter that like literally just like hurts itself and does crazy things. They need a crossover. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're taking advantage of your HBO subscription. Thank Jess. you. Using getting my money's worth. <laughs> oh, I just got an Apple TV and I need to install it, and so then I can put my HBO Max on there. Along finally, with you're finally upgrading. Although I will, my still Roku, use my Roku is still HBO Max free. I'm very sad. <laughs> All right, Han, what's popping with you? Okay, so as I was saying, once you hit a certain age, it's all downhill when it comes to the media. So you start looking backwards. Um, and I, so I have done a one-two punch with YA um, when it comes to Asian American properties. Um, besides just trying to catch up on all the K-pop. But that's a whole different episode, I think. But um, I decided to read two books because there are... Um, going to be series on netflix and actually one of them is on right now as of tuesday so um dash and lily uh which is by the same authors who did nick and nora's infinite playlist um they wrote this book called dash and lily's book of dares and it's about two teenagers they are played by midori francis and austin abrams they uh 
trade a notebook anonymously back and forth. So they like have to do a dare and then they leave the notebook somewhere else where the other one needs to go find it. Um, And so they don't meet each other until like later on in the book. And then of course in the series, and yet they sort of fall in love with each other. The really cool thing about it is, uh, well, there are several cool things about it because I did watch the series. Um, One is, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Midori Francis plays Lily. So she is, half Japanese on the show. Um, that was not the case in the book. But that means we also get some really cool Asian actors, such as James Saito. Uh, <laughs> he plays her Uncle Mori. Um, Troy Iwata plays her brother Langston, who is also gay in the show, which is has like some really cute moments. And then the best character of all is Jody Long, who plays her aunt, uh, who she calls Mrs. Basil E, um, sort of like from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweller. And then because they have to do these dares all of, over New York City, we get to see a whole bunch of New York. Um, and they throw in um, some Japanese stuff in there, which is very cool. And also they have a really, really great soundtrack, which doesn't include the usual Christmas songs, but they have other Christmas songs on there that are still nevertheless like really fun and beautiful. So I really enjoyed it a lot. Very sweet. It's very earnest, kind of pretentious a little bit because these kids are a little bit smart. Um, But I still say it's pretentious in the way that you are when you're a teen. So it's played true to me. Um, And then the second thing, which you can't watch yet, but I read When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon. And um, that's another YA book about these two uh, South Asian American students who are have just graduated they're going to take a sort of um what do they call it it's like a coding camp right they get sent to like a a summer summer school like an accelerated program or something yeah they have to do this like a six-week coding camp or something like that where they make an app and then they can like win a contest you've seen stuff like this on silicon valley so it's an incubator but it's also something to have to pay for and they live in the dorms and stuff it's good for college Um, apps that's why parents send their kids to it yeah (laughs) yeah and so so the cute thing is dimple is really all about the coding this is like something she's been dying to go to and her mom is all like yeah but just put on makeup and meet boys and so when she finally gets the go-ahead to go to this she's like yes i can't believe they agreed and of course our parents are looking at each other so you know something's up and then it turns out that rishi his parents are sending him to this but with the express purpose because they know she's going to be there and they've already traded you know uh bio data and stuff like that so he thinks he's going to meet her um knowing that they're going to be matched up but she has no clue so that means their meet cute is a meat disaster. <laughs> um, and and so it's, you know, it's a really fun sort of, you know, while they're doing this thing and um, get them getting to know each other. He has to overcome her aversion to being matched up. Um, he's all into romance and, you know, destiny and stuff like that. Uh, and so the interesting thing is these are um, South Asian Americans, as I mentioned. However, I think on Netflix, when they adapted it, it's going to be set in india or at least from what i can tell um and it's called mismatched so that's something to look forward to and i think we'll see it by the end of the let me just go on the record and say my parents have never this been this helpful when i was dating i even asked them point blank like yo you got any you know (laughs) friends with kids around my age that would like you know you know eligible bachelors and they'd be like (laughs) 
<laughs> no. <laughs> like, thanks. You know, see, I've tried to do this with my friends, and the issue is that if you don't get along with whoever they sent, want to set you up with, then there can be uh, bad feelings with your friends because on, let's say on your side, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so insulted. They thought that I would like this person. Or on the other side, they'd be like miffed that, that I didn't like their friend. So it's, it's, it's sort of a weird navigation. If it were like just their coworker, I think I'd be more open to it because then I think it's less at stake. But yeah, I've, I've definitely talked to a lot of friends. And so like, I was like, you can set me up, but don't, like call it a setup just let us meet like put us in the same room together at a party you know and then we'll like but just like let the opportunity be there but if you just set up us us up on like a blind date then yeah there can be a lot of like issues but um yeah so i'm curious i I would be definitely open for being set up noted han (laughs) yeah i'm excited um sanya menon's been pretty prolific in writing these ya south asian starring uh, rom-com novels um she's there's a whole series there's she also has there's something about sweetie yeah. um, I'm, I'm excited to because i this is the first one of hers i read and it's very cute very sweet oh my god they're so young it makes me feel so old <laughs> but i was like uh you know it was, it's very cute. there was a controversy um i think it was a couple years ago when there was a white reviewer reading these books and complaining very vocally on twitter that these books are unrealistic these names are so cheesy. Oh and no! It's like dimple, no 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 no! There's always a dimple. There's always a pinky. Uh, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> I look. I loved because I did do uh, read it as an audiobook. I loved the fact that they had two different narrators, one for Dimple and one for Rishi, and so I got to hear it. And of course, that means that all the Hindi that was being spoken was perfect. And it and it sounded wonderful, and uh, I would not be able to spell any of this stuff um, if I had. Yeah. Known. Fun fact: um, Sanya Menon, the author of When Diplomat Rishi and the series, she's currently writing a like straight up romance novel called Makeup Breakup. But the funny thing is, she's writing it under a pseudonym, Lily Menon, because um, as a author of YA novel, you don't want your readers to accidentally pick up the steamy version of your writing. This is like her older sister self. <laughs> That's great. I mean, Meg Cabot also has a pen name that she writes. Yeah. Um, like Bondus Rippers, which I very much enjoy. So, well, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a talented I, I like woman, man. Flipping yeah. Georgia and writing <laughs> romance novels. Romance novels. I, yeah, I, I've always, uh, because um, romance is genre, I know genre can be very hard to write. And so I've definitely played with the idea of writing various rom-coms, you know, Christmas movies and things like that. And I was like, well, if it was ever a novel, I was like, I got to think of a nom de plume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I've always, I, I've always, I figured out one, I think. And if I ever, if it ever comes to pass, I'll let you know what it is. But like right now, I'm going to hold on to All it. Right. Looking forward to the future works of <laughs> Han Win there <laughs> hank hank williams, williams. <laughs> i think that's taken as a singer oh, okay. maybe hank, not as a writer how about hank win w-y-n-a oh, yeah. <laughs> yes um okay so that was mine so what was uh what's popping with you marvin all right so we took last week off for the election and so we didn't have a chance to talk about the Orientalist disaster that was the Great British Bake Off's Japan Week. 
which is just a prime example of how far, <laughs> how far, how far we haven't come. <laughs> I know. So, um, for those of you who don't follow GBBO, um, uh, every week they have a different challenge, like a theme for their baking challenges. And two weeks ago was their Japan week, which when I heard, I was actually pretty excited about because I think they've done an Asian week before, right? Not per se. I did look back on their, uh, because I was doing research and, the few um, specific countries um, that they've done is Italy. I think they've done a Dutch week, but usually they do eras, eras. Yeah. So they'll have like, yeah, Tudor era or something like that. But very rarely is it just one country. So maybe they've done only a handful. Yeah, of they've had like French so. week. They had a Danish yeah. week yeah. before. But yeah, but this is the first time they've like left the european continent they should stay in europe (laughs) (laughs) they should really stay in europe it was just so frustrating because like japanese sweets are actually a pretty interesting topic right there are a lot of things that japan does that's really unique and Mm -hmm. interesting and instead what we got was a mishmash of orientalist stereotypes it's like um going out for authentic chinese food and ending up at like a panda inn or something Panda Inn is pretty it's good, Marvin. Don't you dare no, no, no. dismerge Panda <laughs> no, Inn. What, no, it's like you're getting the Szechuan sauce from um, fast food because that's yes. not. Well, I maybe like my. Honestly, my expectations of this season just kind of like mm-hmm. exponentially dropped after after episode one and i just was like i was already like kind of i'm already kind of over the season so when they did like all this like dumb stuff for japan like i was like you know i should be madder but i already don't care so yeah whatever (laughs) my yeah i okay i think because of all the tweets my expectations were also very very low i went in with no expectations and so i had a lot a long way to fall no well, but the thing is, I think it falls down to two major issues was number one, like, OK, I don't necessarily expect all the bakers to know the flavors. Right. Um, however, I do take the show to task for not doing better um, challenges when it comes to that and then also not instructing them better. Because they could have said, hey, here's a list of Japanese flavors. You must adhere to these things. Or like, here's, an, you know, like examples of what kawaii means. <laughs> and like, and the visual, like aesthetic of, because like, I feel like so many people didn't understand that, especially Ermine, um, because her her cake was not at all uh, kawaii. Um, well, and what exactly is and, and a there was kawaii only, cake? I was so it's not just a real frustrated thing, right? because this is not even Japan week. It's like an orientalist like perception of Japan from the perspective of someone who only knows Japan through like pop culture and anime. But that's exactly what I'm saying is I I think it's the fault of the show for not doing better on their homework because the bakers can't know every single country's food, right? So they need to set the guidelines and set the actual challenges that make sense. Um, and then, you know, obviously the bakers do get a little bit of time to research because they need to practice their things. So, 
if they knew that they could only use like these main ingredients or whatever, then they would have done so. But like, for example, the bow challenge, which again, bow's not specifically Japanese and they didn't specify whatever. They weren't told to use Japanese ingredients inside it. So, you know, I don't fault like faulting people for putting Chinese stuff inside of it. You should also fault the other people for putting a hamburger. I mean, they should have just done a curry pan challenge. So I think that was right. Yeah. And I don't even I mean, I think I I don't it's like flavors is kind of the like creative part of the challenge. So they the signature challenge or they should have just done stuff like, yeah, makeup. I mean. A bow isn't specifically Japanese, but like there's so many other things that are like you could have been like the, the showstopper yeah. or the signature could have been like, hey, make a Japanese cheesecake. That's like a very distinct. And well, which is what and the winner can, did. Yeah. And you can flavor it with anything. Right. Flavor with anything. Yeah. yeah. But here's like the technique is right. Or like that style is specifically Japanese. But that's exactly what I'm saying is they should have picked a Japanese thing yes. to do as the challenge. Because they didn't research, so like they could have said, "Hey, this is the thing where you work with mochi." You could have, and Lottie, like you were saying, did a jiggly cake, which is what we know as a cloud cake or souffle or cheesecake, Japanese right? Cheesecake. Yeah, yeah, like a steamed cake. Um, they could have worked with any number of. <laughs> I things. was upset so that they didn't even. They just didn't do any mochi, like no daifuku, yeah, no, mochi. no there, like. There was one dude who pretty much knew Japanese things, so he was trying to do katsu curry. Um, for the bow, and then that's when um, Matt called it cat poo curry. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think that was wrong on Matt because I'm very tired <laughs> of Asian food being tr- uh, compared to unpalatable, uh, weird things. The sheer number um, of microaggressions in this episode yeah. alone yeah. was the, the energy of this set of hosts is just bad. Like it, like it's, it's, it's too male. It's too white. You know, prusatory. Like it, and it all comes off like subtly. <laughs> like you just like. And Paul has made so many microaggressive comments about Asian flavors in the last eight seasons. As someone who is a very consummate watcher, like he's talked shit about matcha. He's talked shit about pandan. Like when Alvin, the lovely Filipino British contestant, made like a pandan cake. He's like, "This is my. This is like the Filipino vanilla. You know, like this is something my family loves." He's like, "It smells like cut grass." I was like. Fuck you, Paul. Like, I'm so over Paul Hollywood. Like, without Sue and Mel there to like baby him, like babysit him, like, like check him, like, you know, like a babysitter or an older sister would like check you. Like, he's just like running his ego so rampant. And one of my friends was like, Paul Hollywood even bake? And I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> he bakes, he bakes bread. And, um, but yeah, because they kept referencing, well, when he visited a few years ago, and I'm just like, why are we call- talking about Paul? Why aren't we talking about, like, the producers who, like, actually researched something that's current? And then also, or, like, had Asian producers for this episode. I mean, just and Japanese then, bread um, is just um, such a, like, a Japanese bakery is a beautiful thing, yes, right? Yes, yes. They it's gave a- me a, I bought a single, like, single cake, single one-person cake, and they gave it to me in a house. Like, and mm-hmm. the house had its own the house had its own house. Like, it was amazing. Yeah. That's the most beautiful treasure I've ever had. And that technical challenge, that was the, that cake looked ugly. I mean, if they want to do like a crepe cake, I mean, that could have, <laughs> okay that could have been like a, I, um, like a mochi challenge or even like a souffle pancake challenge. Like, why not just do like Japanese pancake? It also I should honestly... not be buttercream between the layers. Buttercream is way too heavy and sweet for crepe cakes. It should have been whipped cream. 
Yeah, Mochi would have been great. And in fact, Mochi is featured in a little scene in Dash and Lily. So uh, that's what it was like. I was almost inspired to write something about like Japanese food with Bake Off and Dash <laughs> and Lily in my head. But I was like, it hasn't quite congealed yet. Um, but yeah, because I've always said like, you know how people call fondant the devil's Play-Doh. And I've always <laughs> been like, why don't you just use Mochi instead? Because it's like edible and yummy. Um, maybe you have to like reformulate stuff. Uh, and temperatures, but like it's totally much better and prettier than fondant. If I was a producer, I would have given them all like kayaki modes or something, like something like actual Japanese sweets instead of like the concept of sweets with Japanese flavoring, right? Which is what we got. Yeah. I mean, literally, I think you were so right as far as like the showstopper challenge could have been everyone making those uh, Japanese cheesecakes and then they can flavor it however they want. Because it's the skill, or that could have been a technical challenge, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it was just a missed opportunity. Uh, not terribly surprised, <laughs> but I do think overall the season, the reasons why it has issues is because of the the overwhelming whiteness, maleness um, of it all, and just them kind of. I mean, look, part of it is also them probably rushing together a, a production, but at the same time. No, they've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And it's I think it's been starting to slip for the last couple seasons, but it's just ever since it moved to now. Channel 4. I mean, the first two seasons were like okay, even with Sandy there it was a little better cuz she just you just need someone who like doesn't seem like an idiot. <laughs> like <laughs> Noel, I actually really love Noel right. too. Like I think he's great I love and I love yeah. watching him on like I've watched him on a lot of other British shows and like the quiz, you know, the big quiz bowl. But just like you can't have like a bunch of idiot like it's too much idiotic energy and you need someone <laughs> who's like like gonna hold it down and and again you need someone who's gonna pop Paul's ego. It's so big. How can anyone else fit inside the tent? She would be way too good for it, but someone like Miranda Hart would be awesome. Oh, she's like busy like uh, Running shin, but right? you know, actually, I take it back. I want a woman of color in there. <laughs> yeah, GBBO, you need to stick with your European themes where you actually know what you're talking no, about. No, 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 don't stick with it. It's broaden your wings, but then hire some people who know what they're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> yeah, it's times like this when you when we're all reminded of the uh, dark history of the British Empire and their influence. <laughs> Imperialism never tasted so oh, bitter. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm glad we were able to get that off our chests because um, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to talk about this with you, you two. Um, but that's what's popping for this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do some reflecting on the election and the last four years. Stick around. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at AsianAmericana.com or on your podcast app. 
And welcome back to Good Pop. Uh, as we all know, we just had an election last week, and it feels like we are all collectively waking up from a shared lucid dream. Um, for most of us, it was a nightmare. But it seems like at least the worst of it is coming to an end. Um, by no means is it over. Um, how does everyone feel? I know it's not over yet. Um, on paper, it's over, but... In reality, we're still we're in the dark second chapter of uh, of this political drama. It's not done on paper even yet either. So <laughs> that's the thing that that's where I am. Like um, the, the, even the way we had to report it on my site was that the AP called it or CNN called it. But we can't say that it's actually been confirmed. Um, we can only say he's the projected winner. And um, and of course, there has definitely not been any concession. So um, having said that, I'm still in a state of uh, what's it? Purgatory, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I, yeah. But yes, I oscillate <laughs> between states of relief and states of disbelief, um, especially given all these crazy details about the Trump campaign and specific okay let's just let's just get out this way we need to talk about four seasons total landscaping marvin you are my veep expert you are my anucci expert has this happened on veep i feel like this isn't even something someone could have written and if i was a comedy writer if i was antonio anucci i'd be so pissed off right now because i was like what's the point Everything I do, like this real life administration has like one up me in humor and creativity, um, you know, inadvertently. And I just like cannot like, I, I, yeah, I just cannot believe like all that happened. It's interesting because the last season of Veep can be seen as like a response to Trumpian politics because everyone's like dark side is kind of ratcheted up in the last season. But I mean, yeah, even in Veep, I think the most outrageous thing that happened was an actual electoral college tie, right? Yeah, I saw the clip going yeah. around about how basically there was a, you know, count, like a like a pretty close call with Selena and whoever she was running against. And then like she had her people go, go, go from like count the votes to stop the vote. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like literally what's happening right now. With, you know, the people in Arizona, you know, the, the Trump supporters in Arizona and the Trump supporters in like Philadelphia. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, I, like, how is this happening? How is <sighs> it was crazy. And then, I mean, four seasons total landscaping as like a <laughs> set, you know, like as it in its production side could not have been better. Like the roll down garage, the the uh, the location between like the dildo shop and the crematorium, and I'm just like, wow, the hazardous like whatever symbol or something, yeah. whatever, that and is. and just like the shoddily <laughs> like like they didn't. Even, I mean, Marvin, we work a lot of events, right? Like we at least have a backdrop, we at least have a step and repeat that it's like you know mm. pulled tight. They had to tape it to like the cor correlated tin garage door at the four seasons total landscaping and i'm just like oh my god i i love it so much and i really really hope 
that I can hold on to that like joy that that gave me. I laugh so hard, and I think until the day I die, I think on my deathbed I will giggle a little bit and I'll be like, "What are you thinking about?" I was like four seasons total landscaping. Yeah, someone had written a tweet something like, "Rudy Giuliani is going to take it all the way to the uh, Supreme Courtyard by Marriott." <laughs> <laughs> Like, these jokes are never going to get old. Oh, yeah. Me. I also saw this one anchor who was like, she was like this black woman. And oh, my gosh, she just read them. She was saying like, oh, and just to help you out, the Ritz is also a cracker and the Tropicana is also a juice brand. And I was like, <laughs> oh. It's nice that we have this moment of levity that we can actually laugh at this stuff. But at the same time, it's also real life. It's that we're going frightening, through. actually, because these are the people in charge of our country and in charge of things like COVID response and economic recovery and healthcare. We have to laugh or else we'll like ball up underneath our desks. Huh. Yeah. Well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, um, potentially, right? Right now we're just going through our our possible constitutional crisis, which has never happened before. And like, like you said, this is something that would fit more in like a political satire, right? Like a, a veep. It's stranger (laughs) than fiction right now. And who knows what the future will bring, but looking back, um, how do you feel like, do you like when, when the winner was projected, did you all feel like some? form of relief because i feel like this past week we've all been just on edge right this entire last week that we skipped nothing there was no progress being made because the counts were still coming in like the like biden's um, electoral college numbers that 253 for like the longest time and i don't know about you but i got tired of just refreshing cnn because they were just talking about the same thing over and over and over yeah i i muted my cable i mean i put it on msnbc because everyone kept talking about steve Kornacki. Map daddy. Um, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, I was like, I was looking at our like our live numbers on Salon and I was like, why does this story keep coming up? Because it's like nine years old and it's about someone coming out. And I clicked on it and I was like, oh, it's written by Steve Kornacki. He used to write for Salon and this is his coming out story. Um, so it was shared w- a- around the internet a lot, which I thought was interesting. But um, yeah, so I muted it, but then I just watched my Slack because all the people who are smarter than I am about politics were discussing it. And I do feel in some ways they help me feel better about things because like every time I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, uh, can I, should I despair? They're like, well, here's a good chance in this state and et cetera, et cetera. So um, right now I'm still a little bit afraid, but I am very 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 tiny part of me is cautiously optimistic um so i wasn't out there like dancing on top of my car like everyone (laughs) else was but i did go have a lunch with my friend on saturday so you know i maybe maybe i i can look ahead to the next month i mean this was like the bare minimum of what we needed to achieve to even have a semblance of hope so it was more like that feeling i was like okay like at least we even have even if it's the slimmest shot we have like a slim shot for change now right versus like another four years of trump like was gonna kill a lot more people right like definitely the worst timeline um so it's like you know when it's like that like when the when the worst case scenario is like the literal worst case scenario you're kind of like oh like yeah, I'm obviously very, very happy. Uh, I could not watch CNN. I just had to refresh the, I just had to refresh the website. I'm like slowly watching the numbers grow up, and then like 
have an anxiety attack and like do something stupid on the internet for like an hour or two and then like check the numbers again and you know like hoping all the again like haunted hoping all the smart people like on twitter could explain to me what was happening they're like they were when when the smart people were saying like don't worry guys like philadelphia's on lock like philadelphia we we got philadelphia we're gonna get philadelphia and i was like are we gonna get philadelphia like i don't understand but okay and then like mm-hmm. people from philadelphia were telling me like we're gonna get philadelphia and i'm like okay <laughs> yay and then gritty told you and then gritty told and then gritty came into my life <laughs> and into my heart um and god there's this great meme where it's like when there was one track and when there was only one track left in the zamboni dust like that's when i carried you <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, that, was so good. that one broke me and i was like all right i got my hit time to go to sleep <laughs> um yeah but i i mean i think so like in the last four years i've been for the most part um I've been using media more of an escapist medium because, you know, my day to day job is like pretty like in the thick of like fighting for representation and like better portrayals of like marginalized communities in media. So like, you know, sometimes I just don't want to take the work home. And I just think that like, I don't know, I feel like in the last four years, like you, you, you almost like, I feel like we haven't gotten any great like movie presidents in the last four years. Right, like, like when's the last great movie president you can remember mm. in a TV show or a movie? Uh, we haven't got any great like, like it's hard to be like very like America. Wow, like yay, like beautiful land of dreams, like in, under this administration. And I'm not saying like we should. And I think part of the issue has always been that Hollywood is an American export, and we are very good at myth making. Um. So, so it's been interesting. I, I, I wonder what will happen now that we have a less terrible president in office. Are we going to go back to like a West Wing era? Are we going to go back to like an American president era? Are we going to go back to like, but, or we, you know, oh, like, Sorkin's already got enough? tons of projects on lined up for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure he does. I mean, it's Sorkin, right? Like Sorkin's kind of like what we think of when we think of political drama. Are they all going to be dudes? Oh, a hundred percent. I just don't know if yeah. like in the last four years or five, four or five years. And, you know, I understand some things are like not some things are just coincidence. Like you make a movie, it takes five years to make and just happens to release like while someone's president. But like, you know, in, in terms of like TV shows, right, like broadcast dramas, like we had like we used to have like Madam Secretary. We had like Designated Survivor. We had, um, you know, it was, it was a fairly common trope yeah trope of drama like a category of drama show and i was like i don't know in the last few years if we've had any we have had a couple like america is fascist shows like men in high castle and um the plot against america but they're not they're not recent um i think i know what you mean as far as like i think our last one was selena meyer and or um designated survivor as far as new TV presidents. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any others. Uh, I mean, I feel um, like I feel like the last four years, even media that's about fighting fascism has become like I think people are paying more attention, and it's interesting because 
anything that that has like an allusion to fascism is now so divisive right like people which really should not be (laughs) divisive like anything where you're like punching a nazi i'm like yeah we should be allowed to punch nazis it's there's a great tradition of films and media projects where we're punching nazis nana jones (laughs) one two and three um yeah it's star wars uh, i mean that's the wild thing it's just like the whole you know star wars one of the biggest properties i'm counting you know specifically i'm talking about like four five six the original trilogy and like how it totally like affected a generation probably majority young men and i was like and how did you grow up and become the empire guys (laughs) i do i do remember because my job wasn't necessarily about this i do remember after trump got elected like it was like Everyone at IndieWire the next day, our eyes were just like, oh, my God, none of us had slept. We were like, what do we write about now? Like, we'd always tried to write a little bit more, you know, smartly. But at the same time, we haven't always delved into political things. Um, So and it was one of those like, I think I definitely heard like an editor trot out the cliche. It's like, this is going to be a great time for art. Um, (laughs) That was the line that we were fed, especially like two days after the election. Like I was working with collaboration. We had our Empower creative leadership conference for some reason and that was like that was the line we were peddling too like i think for at that point we were trying not to give in to despair and trying to spin this into Mm -hmm. like adversity is where great art comes from but like Mm -hmm. man i i i think we didn't necessarily get a lot of great art during this time but i think we've definitely gotten more green lights on certain things that maybe might not have been been considered as strongly before let's yeah. say um i think we would all were already been on the upswing when it came to a little bit more asian american representation let's say but like um i feel like over the years it's like every year we get one more group getting a little bit more of the spotlight a little bit more so like let's say this year we've been seeing a bit more disability and native american spotlight and it's mainly because it's like well, who who's being left behind now or who's been targeted now by the president? Like, OK, let's, you know, like and then just adding on more and more um, because like no one's perfectly represented right now. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a better, a slightly better f- understanding um, by marginalized groups that you have to look out for other <laughs> marginalized groups. Hmm. I mean, um, the entertainment industry has always so, yeah. been reactionary, right? Like the influx of black-led projects, Asian-led projects, women-led projects were all on the heels of Oscar So White and the Me Too movement and things like that. Mm-hmm. And those are those are all movements that are already underway before Trump got elected. You just um just lit the fire a bit more underneath people and I think um yeah, and so but here's the deal. Those movements were underway mainly by the people in those groups. However, I do ha- I do think s- some people start paying attention a little bit more. Like, I remember just writing just randomly about like Asian stuff, and it was just kind of going nowhere. But you know, it was just like. But then I felt like things just came together more. Like I found it easier to r- find projects and write about things and get you know like, uh, ex- my pitches accepted you know, at work and things like that. And then, of course, when I moved to Salon, I became the boss. Um, So I could 
not only um, accept or, you know, form pitches, but I also decided who I hired as freelancers, anyone who wasn't already grandfathered in, that is. And so I pretty much always said that, like, I cannot see myself hiring a white man as a freelancer unless there's a reason, like, my boss had already hired them, right? So um, to to a fault, like, anyone who is my personal pick has always been a woman, uh, a woman of color or a non- non-binary person. And the stories uh, specifically try to tell undertold stories. Um, anyone who is like, I'm still trying to like, I can't do everything, but you know, like I've even been like trying to find some like stories from a different, you know, dimensions of the LGBTQ IA group. And um, it's just, everything is un- underrepresented. And so, I've been doing my tiny, tiny little part in that way. Um, I wish I had a lot more budget, <laughs> but that's also why, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a competitive person. Like, if I see a good story out there, I will retweet it. I don't care if I didn't write it, if Salon didn't write it, um, and if someone needs people hired, I will retweet it. I will do all that type of stuff because, like, people need to get hired. Yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, well, um, I just, Jess, uh, well, as yeah. someone who takes a look at like emerging projects like have you seen anything change over the last four years okay so here's like the shitty thing um when people get targeted politically or when a group gets targeted politically or is in the news for whatever reason because they're this current scapegoat right interest in that population that community um just upticks overall i mean we saw that post 9-11 we you know before 9-11 like the chinese Chinese government was kind of like um kind of becoming that like scapegoat um and there's like a lot of weird bogus like espionage churches and like now we get like a one two punch of both and more and now that's all it's so it's almost like now like every single non-white cisgendered straight group is under attack right for the last 4 years um so that I think I think one that does form a sense of community amongst the populations getting targeted right like like even if you were a like and i think especially this last year i think even if you were a relatively person relative person of privilege as i think we all are being asian middle class white collar workers for the most part in california los angeles county specifically i mean you know the worst of the trump administration we saw it we heard it but i don't know if it like hit us to a point where like it majorly damaged our lives like it hit other populations but even just like being the target of vitriol i think makes you aware and and definitely the pandemic hit all of us this year the pandemic hit every single person in this country this year around the world actually so like it's like this very like now heightened situation where like people are just people have been affected and i think that's gonna cause a certain level of reaction um the thing is, like, the talent's always been out there and it's always just been gatekeepers who have said no uh, because there was never a quote unquote market. And I think what's interesting about this is that the conversation is now shifting how, especially with this election, is just it, people of color won this election for Joe Biden. Um, specifically, and things like, you know, like people like, like the AAPI community, the native community, the black community, disability. disability I mean, like, these are all things I never remember people talking about. And I think political and entertainment go hand in hand. And I'm really interested in seeing how the entertainment community is going to 
court that because now we're now the conversation I think is changing. I don't think you can move forward on a political front with by keeping like you're not going to be successful if you ignore people of color or like put them to the sideline, right? Like you almost have to center them at this point because we won Joe Biden the election. Um less us because we're from California obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um and and you know those margins is like is one of those communities. Um and and I I do think there's a link. Again, not a smart person, you know, have no research or evidence behind this, but in my gut I think there's just a like link between political power, economic power, and therefore political representation, economic representation. And you know, the reports have been very obvious in the last few years. Projects with people of color starring in them do very well. People want that. You literally get audiences that wouldn't watch movies, period, if you, you know, cater to them. Or if you if you show stories from that community, it's something like a Crazy Rich Asians. Like my mom watched Crazy Rich Asians and the last time she watched a movie was like Titanic in 1997. <laughs> right. So it's like you're getting dollars you wouldn't get otherwise. So I think they're aware of this. I just think the vestiges of like old Hollywood are still there and they do not want to let go. So they're going to be like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do an Asian story, but you know, the director's white, but we'll get a consultant. And I'm like, no, no, like that's not good enough anymore. Like you gotta be like authentic up and down the ticket. Right. And, and especially with something like Mulan, I think that's something like people are now. <laughs> Now aware of like I've been working like in entertainment adjacent for like the last few years and like no one has ever cared about the writer, director, producers before. Like no one. <laughs> right? That's not like a lay person term. And then now you're just like, yeah. well, who's writing this film? Who's who's who yeah. who's what is it based off? What's the IP based off? <laughs> like the book? Was that book written by like an Asian person? And I'm like, wow, like people are like, you know, thinking about that. Yeah, I think it's it has something to do with the fact that because there are more stories now and because we've opened up this door where stories are being made for the current version of the public, which is a diverse public, people can see like the difference between something that's produced by a diverse um, team and something that isn't, right? Like you can totally see a difference between Justice League and Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, but here's the, so here's, uh, here's another thing. Because distribution channels, like we're not limited to like X number of channels, X number of networks. With streaming, you can have as much content as you want to throw money into production. There's no limit of like time anymore, right? Time is time is out. Time has a limiting factors out the window. So now it's like, okay, we can create as many shows as we want. We can get very niche, and we will hit every single demographic. But like as things get more niche, I do not know the last. I think the last show that we collectively watched as like a population was probably Game of Thrones. And we all know how that ended. And it's not like Game of Thrones. I don't think Game of Thrones pushed the so they'll like push the subtext of like representation very much. If anything, it was like pretty re regressive. Like it was a very white show. Oh yeah. Right? Like oh, yeah. it's it's a fantasy world with dragons. You can have more black people in this world, guys. It's fine. Like they they even took out the dragons. Like they 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 took out the dire wolves. They took out the they wolves, barely... they took out the dragons. Yeah. There was like not enough magic. But I'm just saying, like and and so now you can do whatever you want, but I also don't know, like, you can do whatever you want, but, like, you're going to hit very niche populations, which is good for the advertising and people, how they make money. But I think as a collective, like, for media, I don't know what that says to media. Like, what is something we all watch that's going to move the needle? 
Is it film? I don't think it's film because films just kind of films make big impacts, but it's like you have to. I honestly think TV is better at like infiltrating Trojan horsing like progressive messages over a long period of time. But no one watches the same TV show anymore. Right. Like besides Bake Off, besides which is why we're Bake so disappointed off. in them. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and then now, you know, and then we're also talking about like global distribution. So Netflix can drop a movie in 170 countries around the world on the same day. But if they have to meet certain restrictions or sensibilities for other countries, like are we importing some of the conservative values of other countries? I think, you know, most times people talk about China and like there are definitely things we don't do because we want to play in China because they are the biggest film audience. So it's just like, it's all very interesting. Like we're not in a vacuum anymore. And that's, and I still think American pop culture media is the strongest export in terms of the pop culture stuff. But I, that very much might change in the next few years, especially because we can't make stuff to the same rate because of Corona. <laughs> and um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But then I think overall globally, like the world is not majority white. The world is actually majority Asian. It's also interesting yeah. because America can no longer hold like the like the the moral like superiority that it used to, right? Because of what happened over the last oh, four God. years. Oh no, we're like or the, the laughing stock or, yeah. of the we are the laughing stock of the world. And there were like all me all these British baker contest past contestants I follow on Instagram on election day were like, it's the US election. Don't vote for the orange one. <laughs> like they were yeah. worried, you know? And to I was be just fair, like, wow. They also voted for in orange monster didn't they they're, they're that's orange. very true yeah. the my australian friend she's been texting me throughout the whole pandemic and just like it's been getting sadder and sadder her text to me like how are you holding up oh did you vote early like how are you feeling right now and after a while it's just too depressing to like respond it's just like how do you um, know about our how does the rest of the world know so much about our systems and leaders and oh what we're God. doing and legit legit story guys when i was studying abroad in england i legitimately saw david cameron in person at the time because he was I think the prime minister does like a weekly report to the parliament on Wednesdays and we were visiting the parliament and like just in the audience. And then like we, we, we I watched him talk for like a whole fucking hour. And then I was like, oh, who was that guy? <laughs> and then like our tour guy looked at us like that was our prime minister, David Cameron. I'm like, oh, I was like, my bad. Stupid American. <laughs> well, I just love how like every single country afterwards like after the projected winner for biden win for biden was just like welcome back to the world america <laughs> um, yeah so i mean looking yeah. forward from our purview as consumers critiquers and um, people peripherally related to entertainment what do you think the next four years will bring in terms of projecting greenlit right are we going back to normal or do we tell mm. different stories I, you know, I, w I feel like we're going to see more things kind of like Babysitter's Club that because I think the deal, the, the issue when it comes to our very divide, divided nation is not necessarily one on policy or one on whatever. It's it's an issue on like people actually caring about other people, like seeing them as humans. And, you know, I think part of that of entertainment's power is just showing people as humans but you know you have to tell it 
with the right people with, in the right way. Um, Babysitter's Club also was aimed at a younger audience. I do definitely think aiming at younger people and like um, energizing them and mobilizing them to get like feel like they can make a difference is a huge part of it. Like the whole um, protest at the end of Babysitter's Club. <laughs> I was just like, wow, I had not seen something like that in my childhood. Um, and it was just so much part of the like fabric and like language of the show, which was just a very progressive and can do, but loving sort of spirit that I really enjoyed that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it'll all be like that. I mean, some things that are more obvious, but like I'm, I was just talking about the, the like Christmas movies too. And just, Yes, having representation there is helpful, but honestly, I want to see slight things taking off from that. Like, I know Christmas movies are the big market, but like, I wouldn't mind seeing some other holiday movies that are featuring people of color. Um, I would love a non cheesy uh, Lunar New Year movie. I would love to, you know, seeing Diwali movie. Just anything that like we don't see. Um, I think just having everyone having that same story, but told their way is very important. Um, I'm, I I don't know if like, let's say warrior and fighting movies are necessarily important. Like those are always there and I would love to see that too. And so wh that's why I'm very excited for Raya, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really thought about it for TV. Yet. I think for me personally, I'd love to see more, stories where millennials those of us that are now in our late 20s mid 30s <laughs> be portrayed as like not even the hero but the main character and not a punchline right because i think we're at a time right now where and I, I feel like maybe this is something that all generations feel but i feel like our generation is being passed up because people are focusing on the next generation already and how they're going to save us where like a lot of us are in prime position to make a difference. And I think we need to be empowered, right? Like uh, I, the last four years has been a result of us becoming apathetic and disengaged. And the last four years have caused a lot of us to re-engage and like learn the civics that we've been putting off for like most of our lives. So I don't know. I feel like I am the opposite of Marvin. <laughs> I want to stay a lazy millennial and let Gen Z save us because I do think they're smarter and kinder than us. So <laughs> you go, Gen Z. I'm already old and don't know what's happening. Um, but like, I think what's what I've realized over the last few months, especially this year, this election cycle in light of the George Floyd uprisings is that I think some of the most powerful stuff is the non-narrative stuff. And I don't know, that's like not my purview. Like I understand how to create narrative change and what to push for the narrative front. But I'm like, yo, like the way the news covered the George Floyd uprisings was terrible, like so bad. And I was just like, wow. Like I literally remember yelling at my TV at like, I think like some like general broadcast channel on, on in LA. And so it's like stuff, it's like that. And I think that's how so many people around the country, including my parents, like, see get get like windows into the world and that's I, the most dangerous things are the ones that are presented as true so i think it's going to be news i think documentaries specifically because 
they are so readily available and digestible on um Netflix now are gonna are are super important. Um like the, remember a few months ago everyone was talking about the social dilemma and how like evil Facebook was and I was like, Oh yeah, like I I knew this. Like <laughs> I I mean I, I, I studied we did a whole section about this when I was studying media studies in college and I was like, Yeah, they track everything, but it's just like I mean, that's not something a regular person would necessarily know. And let's be real. No one has time to read a book. No one has time to like follow the new, like follow newspapers or like read like research papers. Like it's gonna, information is going to be transmitted, passed through basically memes, documentaries, news, and in some cases narrative. And I think narrative over a long run is super powerful because it can change hearts, but has the consistency is key there. You consistently have to have people watching something. The message has to be consistent and it kind of has to be subtle that they don't even realize they're, they're learning. But like news is just like news is presented as objective documentaries, even though we know are not objective, you know, like it's still an art form that is structured and presented perspective. Like it, like one really popular documentary, Blackfish basically like brought SeaWorld to (laughs) its knees. So we like need a blackfish for like marginalized people of all of all backgrounds in the United States. Like someone just needs to make, but like like under a Trojan horse of something like more innocuous, which is like Donut King, yeah. right? Or um, right, yeah. But it has to be accessible. That's the thing. It has to be something like on a Netflix. And um, and I think the beauty there is like there's like short form documentaries now, so it could be a 15 minute episode or something. But and and it just has to hit like critical mass that people are talking about it, like a Tiger King. Yeah, because the the thing is, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like actually there are a lot of documentaries that have been made like in this year alone. Like how many Alex Garland things have we gotten? But the problem is maybe they're all hitting. There is Trump fatigue. I do have to say. And so I think they were all focusing on him. Um, and But I also did like see a lot from different groups of color and like, uh, you know, try to put forth some of those. But then after a while, I noticed people weren't watching them. So you're right. I think it needs to be, you know, dressed in cheese. It has to be somehow like they need to want to watch it under the Tiger King umbrella. Yes. Um, and you need, uh, hide and, the, and, and, you need to hide the gold underneath the trash. Yeah, <laughs> even the even the even the people who we've relied on, like Hassan uh, Hassan Minaj, um, his show got canceled because it just wasn't reaching enough um, people. Even though I thought it was great, but it's just whoever the you know what it is. We need the TikToks. We <laughs> we need the K-pop people and the TikTok people to create our content. Um, and if there isn't someone there already trying to figure that out, like, you know, um, because we got a few of them, like we got the, we got the lady, Sarah Cooper, who was doing the like lip syncing to Trump speeches. And so like, maybe that is one avenue that I really don't pay attention to, but I know a lot of people do. Um, so yeah, maybe there's a thing there, but then yeah, news itself Oh boy. Yeah, I, I just don't think Who we're going to get another like I don't know if we're going to get another like Game of Thrones type like level show, I, which I don't I even think, think is like the best example because it wasn't even broadcast. Like it pays specifically for a premium cable channel no, to get but it. But it was 
but it was uh no i i feel you it it was widely spoken of and even those people who didn't watch it knew it so i it it was a cultural phenomenon you're correct um and not yeah not to that level but i am very happy that queen's gambit is still number one <laughs> for three weeks in a row yeah i feel like <laughs> but yeah, um, um that's the main challenge right it's just how fragmented mm-hmm. not only our country has become but also our media consumption and the channels right now like four years ago you didn't have every studio with their own streaming service and today you do i mean this is why like as much as we i i make fun of and poo poo you know christmas movies it (laughs) is a huge audience and um especially the netflix ones like so this is this is why it's like it's important for things hey maybe there's a way to do something there um between a documentary about Christmas movies or something. I don't know. But uh, there's, there has to be, like, these are the things that people are talking about because it, it is my job to figure out what people are watching. And it's very hard sometimes because, of course, we have a zillion streaming services and, and channels. And um, trying to hit the timing, especially when things are streaming, there is not a, a, like, you can get an SNL right now and, like, write about it on Sunday maybe. And people will read it. But like sometimes, you know, you're not watching that movie or TV show until a week after it's premiered um, on streaming. So it's 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 a it's a sort of a sticky thing. And I think a lot of people are trying to figure that out. I know the networks definitely are trying to figure that out. And they've had to, you know, figure out their numbers on a longer scale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I've had to finagle like, when can I, you know, when can this story go up? Because if everyone's writing about it the night after, then, you know, maybe Salon would do it five days after uh, <laughs> and then write about it in a different way. Yeah. So and let us not it, forget yeah. that even a big ass, big ass cultural moment property can like crash and burn as we saw in 2020 in which, you know, like, now I can't, like, I can't spend more money on Harry Potter shit now. <laughs> so, like, well, like, I'm, like, like, I never thought this would have been the problem to deal with in terms of, like, my consumption habits. But, like, yeah, like, wow, fucking 2020. Like, I can't even partake in Harry Potter, like, with with pure joy anymore. It was funny because uh, when I think it was. Was it HBO Max when it launched, and then it got all of the Harry Potter movies? Oh, and you and know then, they paid a shit ton of money for that. And it was, and we knew it was only for like a month or a few days, and we we're just like, um, and and then they waited to the last minute to get that deal through, and I'm like, I wish, I wonder if they wish they didn't do that now. <laughs> so they're probably still making uh, bank on that deal. There's still, and I'm sure there's still a lot of people who engage with Harry Potter, and I don't necessarily like fault them for it or anything, but it's well, look, they're fine. not a quibby. They're gonna be fine. <laughs> Um, because it's been folded into the people who pay for HBO anyway, and I'm about to pay for it unless I can get some like press thing, but I don't think I can. Um, but yeah, so it'll be fine. Um, yeah, (laughs) remember Quibi? (laughs) I I feel like I just met 2020. Oh, well, like I said, we're all waking up from our collective nightmare slash lucid dream. And we're now moving into not even the rebuilding phase, but like the next phase of damage control. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what comes out because, um, I mean, the next year will it'll be all the projects that were started under COVID, right? Or right before COVID hit. And from then on, who knows how entertainment will work? 
I will say, I the last thing I want to watch is movies about the pandemic. Please, no, don't. I do, yeah, I do have to say, pandemic specific productions have been awful. If that's the topic, <laughs> universally bad. Now, the things that have just been produced under pandemic conditions that are not about it have been perfectly fine. So, like a lot of these Christmas movies, actually have been filmed under those conditions um and you might see a mask here and there but it's not about the pandemic and i think that's something people haven't understood yet how to address in narratives because they keep trying to speak to the current moment and i think people need to look ahead to more hopeful moments yeah i think (laughs) anybody greenlighting these projects they should just say they should prepare just a stock answer too soon I mean, exception would be like, I think it would be weird to have like a medical show and like not talk about pandemic stuff because that's obviously like what you're going to be dealing with. Grey's Anatomy comes back next week and I'm very curious, or this week, and I'm very curious to see that how they are going about it. But that makes sense. Yes, that but, makes you know, sense. But like, like don't like yeah. show me like some random like, like. I don't want to see people on different screens talking to each other. You know, like that's just so boring. That's my life right now with meetings. So, you know, that is not entertainment to me. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very curious about this. But then also this is like, this is why I need a, a, a month of like being sick. Cause like I really wanted to do NaNoWriMo, mm-hmm. but I just knew on October 31st, just seeing the state of the world, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be. And then of course, like my job interfered because like, we were writing about like the election for like a week. So, and we're still writing about it, I guess. Um, so there was no way I had mentally or even physically the time. There were days that I was staying up past midnight and then like getting up at like three or four to like check, you know, the news again to see if I could like do something. So I couldn't do NaNoWriMo, but I really, really like, I'm so inspired, like with everything we talk about, like, I really want to write this Christmas movie. <laughs> I want to really, you know, this do this rom-com or whatever it is that like we've been talking about. And so I have a lot of like half baked ideas and I just need to sit down and like do one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, whatever it is, look out for my nom de plume. Watch out for the works Hank, of Hank Williams. Hank Wynn. <laughs> Hank Wynn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is not the name, by the way, but that might be my third nom de plume. We'll see. Maybe I'll start writing like a uh, modern day western. What's the What's the mm, feminine version of Hank? Like. I guess that would be Henrietta, right? N- well, yeah, but uh, the very clear name would be Hannah, um, because people see my name, and <laughs> they think it's Hannah. So because it ends with an H, not it is not H A H, despite what some people think. Well. Who knows what the future may bring, but we're still alive. We made it through. Almost. We're almost there. <laughs> Progress is not linear. It's more of like a, a sine wave, I guess. I don't know. Trigonometry. To Jeremy bear me. <laughs> to Jeremy bear me. To Jeremy bear me, and we're stuck in a continual e-loop. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that we can move forward together into this um into the future i'm being very like not very profound here but i am glad that the worst of it seems to be that's not even true i'm glad that we're able to move (laughs) on past um this one thing that has been (laughs) that has been bad um and on to addressing the other billion things that are that are wrong with our nightmares yeah and here's to the next four years um and on that note 
I think that's a great place to wrap up our discussion on this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to follow you guys on social media, where can they go? I'm at Jess Jude Tweets. And I am at Anonymous, and not all of my stuff is very depressing now. <laughs> I just retweet, you know, animals and stuff. Um, you can find me at Marvin Yu. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and listen to our past episodes at goodpop.club online. Um, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our other fellow podcasts hosted by Asian Americans by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Uh, we'll be back next week again to talk about pop culture. So stick around. Uh, we'll see you on the other side. Gird your loins. Bye, everyone. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.